Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Nick. Are you bored of drinking big fat shots of Director's Bitter and Ladyboy Chasers at home? Tom, I ruddy bloody am. I'm hopping mad and just want some exciting craft beers to enjoy when I'm watching my Bond videos. That's not too much to ask, is it? Well, have I got some good news for you. The fantastic chaps at Beer52 have given us a special offer they'd like us to share with our listeners. Can I just shock you? I, I like special offers. Do, do tell me more. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis... Cover the postage cost of £5.95 and you'll be sent a box of eight cracking craft beers plus a magazine and two beer-appropriate snacks. Wow, that is a real breath of fresh air. So you're telling me to get a free case of eight unique craft beers from Beer52, I just need to go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and cover the postage costs of £5.95? Yep, it's literally that simple. It really is lovely stuff. Oh, sometimes you want to say, soddle this wine, just give me eight craft beers. And I've really got to say this, Nick, Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Mm. Yep, each month members are sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, Korea, California, New Zealand and many more. But what if I don't like dark beers? Ah, they've got that covered too. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose a light beer option and you can pause or cancel at any time. Simply go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and just pay £5.95 postage to get all this now. Crash bang wallop, what an offer. Eight free beers, a magazine and two snacks for less than £6 postage. Mine's not a pint, mine's a box of eight craft beers. I'll drink to that. (laughs) 
Hello and a hearty welcome to this series of Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and hopefully by now you'll realise this series is all about speaking to notable fans of Partridge or Fops. This week's guest is no exception. It's the comedian John Robbins, who you might know from Russell Howard's Good News, Live at the Apollo, Mock the Week, Live from the BBC, The John Richardson Show. Uh, he won a Chortle Award. He also co-won the Edinburgh Comedy Award with Hannah Gadsby uh, for his show, The Darkness of Robbins, in 2017. Uh, and of course he's known for his uh, show and now podcast with Ellis James as well. Uh, thankfully for us he's also a huge fan of Partridge so we sent Tom Dark and Nick Older along to have a chat with him uh, and that's coming up any second now. Just before we get to the meat of today's episode if you'd like to get in touch with us at all please feel free to do so. Uh, you can email us thepartridgepod at gmail.com facebook.com slash thepartridgepod we're on twitter at thepartridgepod on instagram at monkey tennis pod you can leave a voice note on the monkey tennis hotline 07923 and you might hear that in in a future episode or if you're just enjoying what you're hearing and you'd like to shout us the price of a cup of coffee or maybe five coffees to give us all one um ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis is the place that you can do that um anyway on with the episode i hate it when there's a long rambling intro and really you just want to get into the meat of the interview so may i humbly introduce nick older and tom dark of monkey tennis fame talking to john robbins of john robbins fame i am hopping mad and i want something in the middle aha Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dan! Monkey tennis? Little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmonds is a total wazzard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? Like, this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Right, listeners, it's time to welcome another esteemed guest to Monkey Tennis. Not only a fan of Partridge, but a fan of Queen, a fan of golf, a fan of pints, and a fan of diligent tax record keeping. Today, we are joined by an award winning comedian, award winning radio broadcaster, and the host of many podcasts that are far more successful than ours. This week, we're chatting to fellow fan of Partridge, John Robbins. John joins us now via the medium of Zoom to talk about Alan appreciation through the years, and perhaps if we can find the time, we'll also get to celebrate a mutual appreciation of neck oil, curries, and pubs too. In fact, I'm already convinced he's our best friend. <laughs> John, welcome and a huge thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's a delight to be here. So look, before we get going, I just thought I should point out that you're definitely in good company here. I really enjoyed on your website that you've highlighted a text you had in your Five Live show, two giggling, self-absorbed twerps spouting incomprehensible garbage. I thought you might like to appreciate we've had kind of a similar iTunes reviews over the years, including a bunch of Oxbridge rejects cackling at their own jokes, grade one student radio, and just people saying words from Alan Partridge episodes and backslapping. So you've definitely made the right choice in joining us today. So you, you haven't had any dossers or dwads? Well, I mean, we we, we always called ourselves dossers and dwads in the, in the info from day one. Cool, so we've got cool, that bit cool. covered. Sh- shall we jump straight into it? Yeah, uh, curious to hear what your kind of first encounters with with Alan were you know what's your kind of earliest memory of when you first saw uh, Mr Partridge well I had a uh, a music teacher at school who was a, a real breath of fresh air and he's <laughs> called Mr Bradshaw and I was a quite precocious sort of 11 or 12 year old uh really into Queen 
and he was also into Queen. And I don't think he'd stumbled across many young kids into Queen. So we sort of bonded over that. And I think because, I, I don't know why, but he, he for some reason thought I would like uh, On The Hour. So he made right. me a cassette recording of On The Hour. This would have been not long after it first came out, maybe a year after, a year and a half after. And that was probably comedically for me, the, one of the most important things that ever happened. And I just devoured this cassette recording of On The Hour. And then he mentioned that the, the Alan Partridge character had his own radio show called Knowing Me, Knowing You, which is kind of easy to forget that came before the day to day. And I badgered my mum and I think maybe for a birthday or Christmas, I got the the BBC cassette of Knowing Me, Knowing You. And that was basically my progression from story tapes that kids listen to. So sort of Roald Dahl and... Um, uh, what else did I have? Sort of famous five, those sorts of things that you just listen to on a loop. I just started listening to Knowing Me, Knowing You on a loop. Uh, to the extent which, as with a, an awful lot of Partridge now, I, I could almost sort of play it in my mind. And then. Don't, don't need the tape anymore. It's all just. It's all yeah, there. it's yeah. just there. And then when the day to day came out, that was the first Alan project I was sort of consuming in real time. And I remember those little taster video, those sort of almost little trails for the day to day, very short sort of one or two minute bits. And I, I just couldn't quite believe how funny it was. And I remember watching, and not sure if it was the first episode, but it became appointment TV and we'd only just got a video recorder. So this would be, it was 94 was it 93, 94? day-to-day was... Yeah, the day-to-day day was 94, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and Know Me Knowing You is 93. And I've, I've, I taped them all and I taped all the little teasers. And I remember when Chris Morris said the Bank of England has lost the pound. <laughs> a sort of a new... It was a new experience of, of laughter that I'd not really had before. And... I remember an interview with Steve Coogan when he read, he said he read the scripts for the day to day and he just wept with laughter <laughs> because it was so unlike anything mm. else. And, but I mean, it was pretty much from on the hour I was hooked, uh, but it was the, it was listening to knowing me, knowing you on a loop and then consuming the day to day live. And I think probably quite young, young younger than maybe most viewers of the day to day would have been, so 12, 13. I was going to say, I, I think probably all three of us, I think we're all the same age, broadly. And I I, I, I feel like I definitely remember... You're going to say it was nearly 50 now. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, none of us are nearly that old. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that probably was exactly the same thing, I, for, for me at least as well, I think. Being vaguely aware of uh, this character through discovering the day-to-day. -day. And I definitely do remember as you say, kind of experiencing that as it happened week week by week. But um, yeah, I, I think you were kind of in there from on the hour. So it's kind of, you have literally been a an Alan fan across everything from almost day one, which is quite, quite impressive. Yeah. Well, I will have, I missed, I didn't listen to on the hour on the radio, but yeah. 
I got this tape from the teacher probably six months, a year after it came out. And then when Knowing Me, Knowing You went to TV, that was my first sort of live Alan solo project. And I remember videoing them and just I learned all of the lines and I learned the ABBA medley and all the moves. And I would sort of tick off which characters had made it across from, uh, from the radio show. And then a friend and I at school, a kid called Graham Wise, we set up Club Alan Partridge in school <laughs> uh, with our tie and blazer Brilliant. badge set. And we drew the Alan Partridge <laughs> blazer badge. And, I mean, we weren't sort of in any particularly popular popular set at <laughs> school, so we weren't asked to play football or anything, but we would go around with each other quoting Partridge and doing the album medley and saying things like, uh, where'd you keep your paper clips? <laughs> Just around. <laughs> Put them on there. Can, can you tell, is, was there any more... Uh... <laughs> Were there any Don't more requirements for the um for the club, or was it just having your uh, knowing the quotes and having a, your blazer just, badge set? Just me and Graham drawing our blazer badges. We would have. When did knowing me, knowing you, the TV show come out? Was that ninety five? I, th- I think that was ninety four as well. If if what I've typed up is correct, I think the day to day was first in ninety four, and that came towards the end of ninety four. Yeah. So I mean, if what that's a wrong, golden age of output from on the hour. Through knowing me, knowing you on the radio, to the day to day, to knowing me, knowing you on TV. Crikey, what a time to be alive. I was also, I mean, the only other thing I was really watching comedy wise at that time, apart from like that sort of hangover from the 80s of sort of Russ Abbott and um, uh, was it Phil Cool? And yes. um, yeah. those sorts of, there were still a few sort of comedy variety shows, but. To have the day-to-day amongst mm. all that. Uh, but the, the the only other thing I was really watching was Bottom. And sort of those two very different influences, Bottom and Partridge, mm. sort of really shaped the way I speak to this day. And then going into radio, it's just impossible with a, you know, 27 years of Alan it's impossible to present a radio show and not for, for to sort of become him. Um, so when we started at Radio X, uh, as XFM, me and Ellis, obviously you're introducing tracks. So you can't, it's, you can't, you can't come off the back of a track without going, that was, you just can't. And there are so many, it's sort of weird realizing how well observed a lot of the radio stuff is after the point when you come into a radio studio and like on five live now when a caller stops early and you've got 20 seconds to fill before the news <laughs> i kind of don't quite know how steve coogan and the writers knew all this stuff about radio because it's exactly what you hear people doing on five live when they've <laughs> lost a caller and they're sort of filling time for 40 <laughs> seconds before the news bed kicks in or they hit the wrong jingle or something you can hear something falling over in the studio um so it's it, i'm becoming more like alan as i as i get older through through the radio work i do enjoy that it kind of 
you do find partridge kind of gets weaved into your into your parlance and sometimes you do it intentionally sometimes you do it unintentionally sometimes people in the room won't have clocked that you're doing it and sometimes someone in the room will be like oh that was so partridge wasn't it and they, they've kind mm. of caught you caught you doing it um it's it's great to hear um obviously that, that steve is kind of one of your early influences and obviously you've, you've touched on on, on bossom be great to hear about your kind of the the people in comedy who have who have inspired you um, at a younger age to kind of get involved in in the world of comedy who, who would you cite as those kind of um, touch points? Well, I mean, really, I wasn't in any way a, a sort of stand up aficionado before I started doing stand up. Stand up was a sort of act of desperation for me because me and my friend uh, Robin, who I lived with and who I present the Moon Underwater podcast with, were were just sort of writing sketch ideas in a notebook for a, a year or so. And it was more that at university, I would I was the bar rep. So I was in charge of the bar and I would put on events that had no need for a host, but I would install myself as the sort of MC of the karaoke. Like karaoke <laughs> doesn't need an MC, but I would sort of talk in between the people and commentate on the songs that they'd done. So after uni, I was very depressed working in a bookshop drinking far too much and I sort of realized my life was not going quite as planned so I stopped drinking and went to a an, an open mic night and I think I'd maybe been a bit sneery and about stand-up but TV comedy writing is such a closed shop really unless you have contacts with which I had none whereas stand-up was so it was just so attainable. You could just turn up and go on that night. And, you know, you think the sort of hoops you'd have to jump through to get someone to read a script or even, you know, give you some advice. You know, I wouldn't even know the people to ask. So to find that you could just go to a pub and say to someone, I'd like to try 10 minutes and they go, OK. You're like, oh, what, really? <laughs> and then you do it and then you've done it. And then you can say you are it. You can say, oh, I'm a, I do comedy now. <laughs> And I just got completely obsessed with stand-up. But I didn't have any stand-up icons because mm. I hadn't watched any stand-up. I hadn't really consumed it. So, it, I mean, comedy-wise, it really would be Bottom, Allen, The Day-to-Day, Brass Eye, Blue Jam. Um, I guess later on, Armstrong and Miller, mm-hmm. their first sketch show. Oh, their, their first is, sketch show on Channel 4. That was yeah, brilliant. really yeah. underrated, yeah. that. Um, the Armando Iannucci shows and Reeves and Mortimer. Mm. I was a huge Reeves and Mortimer fan at school and mm. me and a friend, George, sort of the only interaction we had with the cool girls was making them laugh doing last night's Reeves and Mortimer. And I would learn it. I remember once getting a, up early to learn the song from the previous night's Reeves and Mortimer that I'd recorded uh, from the smell of Reeves and Mortimer. And then... Um, uh, and then later on, bang bang! It's Reason Mortem, which I think is really underrated. So so good and Catterick, and then at uni, sort of Human Remains and Woody Allen, and Woody Allen's stand up as well. So all of that is pre me starting stand up, um, and then sort of stand up. Then I was I was watching stand up, which was kind of incredible. And also rubbish. It's it's quite. It's important to remember that an awful lot of the stand up I was watching, I was thinking, this is rubbish. 
this person is rubbish and I disagree with what they're saying and I find it really unpleasant. And then you'd see someone who's like, oh my God, how can someone be that funny for half an hour? So you sort of gauge that because anyone can do it, mm. it doesn't necessarily mean they're good if you go and see a stand-up. So that was quite interesting to suddenly think, oh, I might be able to be quite good at this because quite a lot of the people who are doing it aren't very good and some of them are amazing. <laughs> so maybe I might fit in somewhere between the these those two sort of stalls. Well, you've, you've touched on kind of like um, the, the early Alan Partridge. I'm, I must admit, I'm... I'm very envious of someone kind of coming to it chronologically, um, given we're of a of similar age. I, I came to Alan much, much later. What, what do you kind of cite? Um, because we discuss this loads on the podcast. That there's so much Alan now across so many different formats. But what are the kind of moments or, or characters or, or lines that really stand out for you and stand the test of time? And um, yeah, some of your favourite bits throughout the years. Well, I'm... <sighs> Me and my best friend can have an entire conversation about our lives in Alan Partridge quotes. And to to very, very minuscule details. So if one of us calls the other, we will either answer the phone going, Hello, Alan, (laughs) which is uh, Roger Moore on Knowing Me, Knowing You, when he finally makes contact with Roger. (laughs) Yeah. Or we will answer the phone by going, oh, <laughs> can either of you get get that? that oh, God, it, I know it, but I can't. Can we have one more? Oh, oh. <laughs> this is where you're going to be on knowledge. I definitely recognise yes. the noise, but I can't. I can't so that's when, that's when Kerry calls in to ask a question to Tony Hayes. Um, <laughs> on, the, her, on the radio show? Yeah. yeah her yeah, question yeah, is, yeah. Why aren't there more youth programs? What? That's it. Why aren't there more youth? Why aren't there more youth programs? But the the person who puts her call through misses the H off hello. So you just get, oh. <laughs> so it's one of those two when we answer the phone. I really um, think you should probably be hosting this podcast. Yeah, I this think is that's, exceptional that's knowledge. That's a bit of knowledge where you're trumping I, us significantly. I think I, 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 think I really should. Um, what's the money like? Um, I mean, we can discuss that off air, but it's not great, let's be honest. It's, so, it's mm. amazing that people like you do yeah. your job for such rubbish money. <laughs> yeah. um, He's got us again. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the absolute high points of Alan, I think are uh, the second series of I'm Alan Partridge. I th- I prefer that to the first, which is not a mm, common opinion. I mean, I mean, you're wrong, but fine, carry on. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it's fine to disagree. I, I, I know some people think that, but uh, I don't. Um, but I think the best thing Alan has ever done is the first series of Mid-Morning Matters. Yeah, Back. I, yeah. I Can I shake your is, hand, etc. That is, yeah. <laughs> I I just think that is wall to wall. It's so perfect. It is. It suits Alan the way it's filmed suits him so well. It it's the joy of those little moments on um, I'm Alan Partridge where you get to be in the radio studio. Yes, but that sort of webcam webcam voyeurs is so great for him. And I just think the the whole arc, the final episode of that with uh, Zoe, who is a breath of fresh air, <laughs> it, that is the best thing Alan Partridge has ever done, that final episode of Mid-Morning Matters. 
I just think it's so, so good. Yeah. I think that's a very pure purist fans mm. view, isn't it? I think a lot of uh, people listening to this would probably agree. And I think, like you say, because it's kind of an extrapolation of, I think in I'm Alan Partridge, you see him in the radio studio doing all those kind of comedy in, uh, back announcing of songs like you talked about. And I think, yeah, r- r- diehard fans, I think, always wanted to see more of that. And Mid-Morning Matters finally delivered. Yeah. And I think the a lot of what we talked about when we covered it on the podcast, a lot of the nuance and the subtlety to the humour within that show is really what made it so good, I think. Yeah, we've spoken a lot about it. And actually, I think when it first came out, we didn't really appreciate it because it's quite high concept. And it, it's a bit strange when you see it at first. And there was the whole Foster's sponsorship and it was on YouTube. And it was a it was a strange beast, I think, when it came out. But mm. I think it, it's aged exceptionally well and mm. it, it, it grows with repeat viewings because... There's so much to appreciate and so much to uncover. And I think, yeah, we'd agree Mid-Morning Matters is is definitely up there in some of the, the best of um, of Alan's output. Does does Alan kind of like, you know, has he kind of touched your life in kind of the, the real world? I mean, we've we've ourselves been on um, Alan's stag do's. We've been, you know, we've had ladyboys in real life. What, what, has, has Alan ever kind of... Ladyboy chasers, not, not ladyboys. <laughs> There's a difference. Oh, sorry. Did I not make that clear? Yeah, <laughs> ladyboy chasers. I mean, should make that clear. <laughs> um, we'll have to fix that in the edit. Uh, yeah, does, or, you know, has he ever kind of touched, touched you in the real world? Probably another one to fix in the edit there, but hopefully you know the point uh, I'm making. Well, I've, I've met Steve Coogan twice and... The first time was very sort of very brief meeting backstage at Rahulastapur, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. And I was so conscious of getting it wrong. And I could tell he was um, he was in quite a sort of shy mood, I think. But I asked him whether Tony Blackburn's Poptastic was a reference point for Alan. And he said it was. Because there are moments in Tony Blackburn's Poptastic which are beyond Partridge and there are certain lines that have a slight familiarity to them. So I, I just that, that was my one little fan question because I'd just finished reading excerpts from Poptastic on the Radio X show. Well, it was XFM back then, maybe. And then I wrote my own autobiography in the style of Poptastic yeah. called A Robins Amongst the Pigeons. But, and then I met him, I was, the year after I won the Edinburgh Award, I was asked to go back up and give out next year's award, um, because Hannah Gadsby had, was by then too successful uh, to, to, uh, to fit it into her schedule. I was at a loose end. Um, and Steve was sort of co-presenting it with me. And that was so nice. We had, you know half an hour 45 minutes in the sort of green room getting ready and we had a really good chat and I was able to ask him a few things about Alan and so for example mid-morning matters I asked him about that and said I I thought that was fantastic and uh he was sort of saying what was great was that they were able to have real freedom because they knew that actually not a lot of people were going to watch it live um because you know it was on sky and it was on YouTube for a bit. Um, I think maybe, like, personally as an Alan fan, one sort of minor criticism, not of the first Mid-Morning Matters, is I think because not many people saw it, they reused a few jokes from it. Mm. 
in yes. the second series and in this time. Yes. And only because yes. I've got sort of encyclopedic knowledge, you notice those little sort of returns to the riff. But then, you know, they did the they did the same on um, Knowing Me, Knowing You when it transferred to TV. So it's not a huge criticism, but I let's put it like this. I, I don't think you can play King and Car twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I think that was the thinking, was that, well, no one's really seen it. So if, I don't know, five million people watched this time, and I don't know how many people watched Mid Morning Matters on Sky or on YouTube. Not five million people, yeah. No, yeah. say it's 200,000 or <laughs> yeah. whatever, or 500,000. You, you have to take into account that four and a half million people haven't heard the joke about whether Alan's had a spray tan or not. Yeah. So, so for, it's fair game. No, we've definitely talked about I didn't stuff say like that. that to Steve, <laughs> by the way. Should have done. I just said it is a pleasure to meet you. Have you seen anything you liked at the festival? And I really enjoyed Mid Morning Matters. <laughs> I did I did also um send in my dream is to write for Alan in some respect. I did actually send uh Baby Cow an unsolicited script, a chapter of a book and a scene from Mid Morning Matters. And even though Nothing will ever happen. I'm so glad I did because I'd been thinking about this Alan scene in my head for so long. It was driving me nuts. And I thought, come on, just write it down and send it. So I did. And I, I'm i usually someone who's quite sort of uh, beset by shame about stuff like that. But as soon as I'd sent it, it was like, oh, great, you've done it. You were brave enough to do it and send it and it's done and it's good. And they will never use it because they've really got all the bases covered with the Gibbons brothers, who are fantastic. But you've done it, and I haven't thought about it since. But, but John, you're, you're firm friends with Tim Key, so surely he can get you within the baby cow inner sanctum by this point. I didn't actually go through Key. <laughs> Always <laughs> go through Key, that's what I've heard. No, I, I, I went for a drink with Key last week. He's so great to chat to about it. Just He said that the, the recording is so fun. And I think he also has, you know, not to speak to his experience, but he has a sense of, you know, this, I'm part of Partridge. This is insane. And he's brilliant. He's such a good face actor. Yeah. Yeah. I think it must be that strange experience of being a bit of a fanboy on, on set and, and meeting your heroes must be an incredible experience. But I could imagine the the nerves probably having to act um, around... Um, Coogan must also be incredibly high. I know that if I was doing something like that, I'd be absolutely breaking it. <laughs> but I, I think that that really helps with Sidekick yeah. Simon because he yeah. is tentative around yeah. Alan and he is sort of <laughs> never quite sure whether he should make the joke and he's often getting sort of shut down. So I think you can you could draw on those nerves. You could almost sort of play it pretty straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess Doesn't I, matter whether it's Tim or Steve or Simon and Alan. Did you um when when Tim was doing things like this time and mid morning matters? Did you ever, you know, was he giving you intel on kind of like developments, script stuff like that, or was he quite stum about it all? No, I mean I never like I would never. Or would you not ask because it's I kind wouldn't of like ask weird something like that. Do the work thing, yeah. Because I think you're a you're nervous enough about a project when you're doing it, but b I mean these things are genuine secrets these days, yeah. so. He might have said, you know, there's, yeah, we're working on something, but he would never say more than that because the new Alan is, 
I mean, it's not quite Star Wars level, but he will have mm. um, presumably signed stuff to say, I won't talk about this because it needs to be a surprise. And I have to say he held up to questioning very, very well. <laughs> um, so if Baby Cow are listening, they don't need yeah, to worry. It's fine. Oh, not at all. <laughs> one other thing we wanted to, to touch on, and actually it's one of the reasons why we thought, ah, John must be perfect for something like this on, on, our, on our show, is you interviewed the actor that played um, Chris Feather. How did it come, how did it come about and, and what was that like? Uh, Constantin, his name is. So we have a a feature on our radio show called Unsung Hero, where we sort of find people behind the scenes of big stuff or cool stuff or stuff you use every day. So we interviewed the guy who invented parking sensors, uh, both front and rear. Um, and we... It's so mad. Like, I can find an Alan Partridge line for any situation... So what what does both front and rear come from? Because that's an Alan line, and I don't even know where that's from. Oh God! I don't yeah, know. it may <laughs> even be parking sensors. Um, this is the thing we've we've done what 120 plus episodes of this, and it's like I think you sometimes fill your head up with the quotes so much you have to push other quotes out, mm. and I think sometimes you just go, "Oh, I've forgotten everything that was said in that," until I go back and look at my notes and remember what I thought the best lines were and stuff. It's actually quite hard to keep it all in, I think. Well, one thing me and Ellis say more than anything else is massive it is. Massive it is. And I could not, for the life of me, think, where the hell this? we keep saying massive it is? And I would get into a loop in my house just saying out loud, because I live alone, I would just keep saying massive it is, massive <laughs> it is. And I was thinking, where the hell is that quote from? And I texted Robin, my friend, I says, when does Alan say massive it is? And it's when he goes to Bono's house. Yeah. And he turns up and says, well, this is it. This is where the idiot lives. <laughs> and he goes into the bedroom and says, yeah, that's, that's where he sits in the morning with a, a copy of the Daily Express and the biggest bowl of Alpen you've ever seen. Massive it is. Did and you? I suddenly like, oh, right, that's where that thing I've probably said a hundred times in the last month came from. And it's such a small little... What I love about that is when Alan's eyes almost believe it, <laughs> because he's invented this lie that Bono lives in this big house. <laughs> he's got the biggest collection of hatchbacks. Um, and then when he says, he's, he's lying, he says he sits there with a copy of the Daily Express, the biggest bowl of album you've ever seen. And then he gets this faraway look in his eyes and goes... Massive it is. <laughs> so he sort yeah. of bought into his own fantasy. Anyway, that wasn't the question. What was the question? Chris Feather. Hey, Chris Feather. Yeah. Chris Feather, he likes me. <laughs> um, yeah, so our producer said, do you want to talk to the guy who plays Chris Feather in Alan Partridge? And I was like, yes, 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 and yes. <sighs> <laughs> That's from the first King and Car. <laughs> I think this is the best call I've ever had. Yeah. Please do call again, John. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you like folk music? No, I hate it. Um, yeah, I think that the scene in Bono's house is one of the best partridge scenes. I love that he calls him an idiot. This is where the idiot lives. <laughs> you got my text then, Lynn. Oh, <laughs> I love God. that you sent Lynn a text saying, Can you find someone who looks like Bono? Yeah, that bit is brilliant. That guy's really good. That's where it's so good, isn't it? Because I think actually there's a surface level where what's going on is ridiculous and silly and that's why it's funny. But then when you actually 
stop and think about the interaction between the characters that you aren't seeing on screen, like Alan texting Lynn, stuff like that. I think yeah. that adds the extra layer of humour, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I th- can I just get another can of cider? Is that all Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One thing I really think is very canny about Alan is that he's not a drinker. And I think that's really useful comedically because if it were he a drinker, it would be very hard mm. to imagine a lot of his life without him just getting hammered all the time. Because, you know, if I lived alone in a travel tavern, I would just, I would be hammered every night, especially with a bar downstairs. <laughs> so I think that's quite a clever touch that drink doesn't really agree with Alan, apart from a big fat shot of directors. But there's the bit in, I think it's I Partridge, where he talks about not drinking the day because it makes him feel nauseous. And he sort of has half a glass of wine when he has a confrontation with Carol. And yes. then the scene with the the guys from the Hamilton's Water Breaks video. Yeah. It's yeah. a really useful tool that he's not a not a drinker. Yeah, no, but yeah. Sorry, what was I gonna say before I besided myself? <laughs> um is that for, for me, like the the key phrase with Alan is dead air is a crime. Because he speaks off air as if he has to fill every silence, which is where you get these wonderful extra bits of information that are totally superfluous that he he then finds digging himself into sort of a syntactical hole because he can't not say the extra thing, whether that's banal or offensive or irrelevant. He, he sort of has to add an extra clause to every sentence. And that's been a huge influence on the way I write stand-up 
is going beyond the first joke and finding a subsequent joke that it's almost like you're not quite saying it. It's being sort of pulled out of you because you have to give an extra slant. And then there's can, you can often do it sort of twice. So you get two bites at the cherry. And I, that's, I mean, my last few shows, there's an awful lot of that. And, and you know, people have picked up in reviews that I'm quite partridge. But it's, it's that tactic of saying the thing, then you make the joke, and then you go one step, two step further than you probably need to, and sort of often correcting yourself. Well, I think that that's what feels very true to the character. I think you're totally right, because it's often... He's either always got to have the last word in some way, or he's such a stickler for accuracy, there's always going to be something at the end of a conversation where he's got to correct it and, and got to make sure whatever he said he, he believes is correct in, in some kind of way. Um, yeah, which I think is kind of a trait you see throughout kind of every, every iteration of the character. Um, and I wonder as well, it's interesting, like if you're saying how you've applied that to, to your own stand-up shows, I wonder how many other comics actually have quite acute kind of inspiration from sitcom for their writing as opposed to kind of other stand-ups. I, I, don't, I don't really know whether that's kind of a, a common, common trait or not. But then like you say, you know, people, if reviews kind of saying you're a bit kind of Alan-esque, I'd also say, well, isn't there a bit of Alan in all of us in a way? You know, it's kind of, I think particularly if you are a lifelong fan, you can't help but but pick up on these these kind of like idiosyncrasies of the character, probably. I think probably in in stand up and in sketch comedy, I see more Brent. Mm, I see yeah. an awful lot of Brent because Brent gives you a get out clause if something doesn't work. Yeah, because Brent is constantly kind of sort of looking to camera when when they should be laughing. So I see quite a few stand-ups and um, sort of like social media videos that people do, which are really funny, but it's like that is, I mean, that's pure Brent. And I think probably less Partridge, weirdly. But I wonder if sort of Brent is the generation after Partridge. So if Partridge yeah. is sort of 93 to 95, Brent is 2000, sort of 2003. So... The big stand-up boom happened around 2005 when suddenly the amount of stand-ups, it just exploded. And Brent would have been so in everyone's minds then in a mm. way that mm. was Alan probably on hiatus 2005? Uh, oh, yeah, I think. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Because what? Cause yeah, yeah, you're the right. The first yeah. series of I'm Alan Partridge is depressingly early, isn't it? Isn't that like 97? 97 yeah. was then, series one. Series two was 2002. So actually, you yeah. had the interesting point, I think. And I think we talked about this probably on the podcast years ago. I think I'm Alan Partridge series two ended. And then it was literally something random, like the next week the office started. There's some really nice synchronicity, like kind of almost a passing of the, the comedic baton from one character to another in a way. Well, I remember an episode of a, it was a radio comedy called something like the 50p challenge or the 99p oh, challenge. challenge. Yes. Armando used and, to be on that a lot. Yeah. And I remember listening to it in 2002 and he was doing all, he was sort of riffing about how every award possible was going to the office 
So he was like, oh, and then the, the next award for best waste paper basket goes to the office. <laughs> and there was, obvi- there was obviously a slight feeling that the office had overshadowed Alan in the, in the yeah. sort of public consciousness. Um, but Alan has stood the test of time. Yeah, I th- I wonder. Where's Ricky Gervais now? <laughs> yeah, no, no yeah. one's heard of him yeah. for, for years. So yeah, uh, in think, the wilderness. I think. Uh, well, would you say has the quality of Steve Coogan's output maintained itself better than the quality of Ricky Gervais's output? On the basis that I don't think Ricky Gervais listens to this podcast or would ever be on this podcast, I'm going to agree with you, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Ricky, if you are listening, do, do come on. <laughs> But yeah, you know what? That's a really interesting point because yeah, you you basically got kind of I'm on a publisher series two finished two thousand and two, and then you had I don't think the character really came back at all till you had the Steve Coogan tour in two thousand and nine, which was Alan Partridge and other less successful characters. Yeah, but I, then there wasn't a proper Partridge vehicle again until Mid Morning Matters series one, which I think was two thousand and eleven. And I wonder if part of that extended hiatus was almost a bit of a Brent effect. It's a bit like having to create a mm. bit of distance between an Alan and a Brent, perhaps. Never really thought about also, that. Also, sort of 90, 91, 92 to 2002, you'd had a lot of Alan. Yeah. But it's just that in those preceding years when Steve Coogan was doing a lot more acting, there was there was a lack of Alan. I think we can all agree. And since then, we've almost been spoilt yeah. with Alan content. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of hilarious. I think when we started doing this podcast, we were like, okay, well, we'll do I'm Alan Partridge Series 1. If people listen to it, we might do Series 2. And then we're like, okay, fuck it. Let's do Alpha Papa. Let's do... Mm. Every- and, and you know, kind of thinking, well, we're going to get to the point where we're going to run out. Obviously, we had, you know, no idea that so many new Alan vehicles would happen in the time we started doing a podcast like this. So, I mean, it's kept us bloody busy the last couple of years, that's for sure. And what did you think of Alpha Pepper and this time? Hmm. Um, I mean, I personally thought this time was uh, very strong. I think in the same way that Mid-Morning Matters was that kind of high concept, um, original idea. I think Mid-Morning Matters, um, they took something that could have been very obvious and it would have worked, but it wouldn't have particularly trod new ground. And actually, I think what they did with this time was was do just that, take something that on the face of it um, appears very kind of simplistic and, and actually put a unique spin on it, which I think is one of the Gibbons' real strengths. For me, I think Alpha Papa at the time I really enjoyed, but unlike Mid-Morning Matters, which has um, you know improved over time, Alpha Papa is not something I go back to. I think it's that thing that comedy vehicles that make the leap into film often struggle with. You know, I love the Inbetweeners, but how often do I watch the Inbetweeners film? Not very much. I think Alpha Papa has some real moments, but it doesn't. It's not something that I regularly return to personally. Yeah, I, I think I would say Alpha Papa is probably one of my least favourite pieces of of Alan or uh, the, the APU. Actually, I don't think we've explained. So we, we developed the shorthand. The Alan Partridge universe, the APU, so anything that Develop covers... Develop the shorthand as, if it, as yep. if it took us... Surely you've it, got to go the, the Partraverse. I, th- I think originally we did use Partraverse, but I think mm. APU just felt a bit more snappy in the end. But um, so, Sounds like a motor oil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get that on the back of a jacket. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Alpha Papa is that great, but I think it's, it's the format of just Alan on film. Just even the way, like the quality of the, like, the film it's shot on, it just didn't feel the same 
for me. Um, I know, I know I, what you mean. I th- I think it's. I thought it was a really brave choice to keep it very domestic. Yeah. And I think probably the only bits of Alpha Papa I did, that I wasn't as keen on was when it went more filmic. So the car chases, I thought I could have done with one less car chase. And what I would have loved is to have seen a bit of Alan post-Siege when he'd have got a bit of celebrity. Mm. So I, I really like the idea that, you know, Alan gets this boost from his little moment in the his sort of five minutes in the press and he's suddenly on celebrity big brother or <laughs> or he's he's on like good morning britain but I, I wonder if that's probably too big a story to just begin at the end mm. but i would have liked a bit of post siege allen as opposed to the i think the probably the second car chase but um yeah. those bits in the studio and I mean the bit in his shed when Lynn walks in and you can see the reflection of the the, yeah. the boobs, boobs in the glasses. It's so good. But I mean that's 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 the weird thing. It's a bit conflicting really digging into it because I do think script wise there are some brilliant gags in it. But I just think as a vehicle it just didn't inherently feel like it suited the character, I don't mm. think. Well I think it's Alan, like any sitcom character, it's a cliche, but he's always trapped, whether it's in a travel tavern or a um, static home, the static home, or a radio studio, or a petrol station. So the bits that work on film are the bits where he's trapped in the radio studio. He's in his shed, and when you take it out, it, it may be. But you have to. I mean, you're making a film that people are going to watch on a big yeah. screen in cinemas. Yeah, and I think to be fair, it could have been a disaster, mm. and it wasn't. I just think the 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 bar is so high for a lot of the other Alan stuff we love. It's kind of comparatively, it's it's one mm. of my least favourite things. But I think in terms of it's a British sitcom movie spin-off, it's probably one of the best examples there is. It's so, better than Hotel Paradiso. Yeah, that's not exactly, great, is it? Yeah. Even Simon yeah. Pegg can't save that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not completely no. awful, but it's it's, again, it doesn't feel, they don't feel trapped enough. They've got too many rooms, and I'm used to seeing bottom happen in one, maybe two rooms. Yeah. Hotel Paradiso also had that weird thing where, I don't know if it was like a licensing issue, but do you remember they don't call themselves by the same names? So I don't know if it was a kind of licensing issue with the BBC, but that also kind of just took you out of the moment a little bit where, because he was called, yeah. was it Richard Thwaite? And it was supposed to be Richard, Thwaite, Richard yeah, yeah, Twat, yeah. and it was, it was funny, but, you know, there was something about... This isn't Richard Richard and, and Eddie Hitler, it's Richard Thwaite, and it didn't quite gel in the same way. Yeah. Um, I mean, John, what, what what did you make of, of, of this time? Because I think it's, you know, be, being a long-term Alan fan, discovering him in the early 90s, with this time being the kind of most recent high-profile TV. So obviously it's very different beast to something like Mid-Morning Matters, which we've obviously talked about and we all love. So yeah, how... Ha- what what's what's the John Robbins view on this time with Alan Partridge? I I actually think it rewards a second viewing, um, and I enjoyed both series more the second time I watched it. I think, like I said, because I because I can recall most Alan lines whenever they popped up, you sort of go, oh, why don't you write a new line? But then, like I said, the vast majority of people haven't seen. The places from which those lines came, 
I I will start with like these aren't criticisms. These are just things I would have liked to see as a fan. I like that Alan has become more relevant because we're now in a culture war. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like, it's so weird. There was a really interesting article in The Independent about how accidental partridge as a concept has sort of given canny, slightly right-wing presenters the license to say quite offensive things because people go, oh, that's so partridge when Richard Madeley says that thing, as opposed to going... Oh, that thing Richard Madeley said is really offensive. Mm, yeah. So it, it sort of sugarcoats unpleasant views to, to liken it to Partridge. And yet this time was sort of that happening in a fictitious realm. I, I think I would have liked to have seen a, a, a more of an arc over the whole series about Alan actually getting quite popular because he's actually speaking for the majority now he's speaking for yeah. the brexit majority um there are there are several sort of political movements over the last 5 years which alan is now in the majority and i thought it would be quite interesting to maybe as opposed to in individual moments track alan's progress as being the person on this time who the public agree with more than jenny mm. um and I think that, that's they're... kind of the setup they, that I think the Gibbons brothers explained when they first went to press about this show happening was that Alan was kind of like now the voice of a nation because he was on the, I guess, the relevant side of a Brexit or a culture debate. So that was well, there was so much of that in the, like, away, the yeah. pre-press. Yes, but I but sort really of wanted, I wanted to feel more that Alan was actually touching a nerve in a way that the rest of the show may may not have done but that's not that's just me in a sort of fantasy world they didn't actually talk about brexit at all no which i, I think, think in a way is kind of good it's kind of i it felt like they used the brexit thing as very much background some kind of background exposition that was never i just think alan would be have a lot to say about brexit well what not necessarily a, a lot to, a lot of different things to say about it <laughs> But he might say the same thing again and again. <laughs> I, I thought the episode where the the previous presenter is outed as a as someone who's guilty of historic sex crimes was so good. He will be missed. Hashtag John gone. Yeah, that, that Hashtag was a John suit. gone. I, I feel like that episode that feels like a classic in the APU personally, but because yeah. I think there is kind of it's that is there is quite a narrative heft because it is about John dying and Alan taking the reins properly. That feels like that's properly now entrenched in a kind of the it, classic Alan Cannon. But also, Alan isn't quite as bad as we think he is. Totally. He's, he's very close to Tony Blackburn in a sense, in that he's quite a goody two shoes, Alan. He, he has he he's not made any major mistakes in the sort of spectrum of broadcasters and entertainers have made mistakes. And there's that great bit where. Um, Simon makes a sort of bad joke about Alan at the BBC and he panics and over explains an event that happened with pans people where he pulls his pants (laughs) over his shoulders. But Alan's not, Alan would not get cancelled. Yeah. In the same way that Maidley doesn't get cancelled. Because you tend not, because Alan's also not really a social media Mm. beast. He's not done anything to be ashamed of, really. 
So it was interesting to, I thought that episode was pitched really well. Uh, the 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 scene with the Alan lookalike when he starts singing the um, the Irish song that is so good. Yeah. Um, I I thought Lynn was felt a bit underused. Yeah, I mean, and I, I feel like we probably agree, but then also in a way that was kind of the genius of it. You definitely it left you wanting more. I know, it just left me thinking <laughs> Lynn's been underwritten here. Um, also, I thought the digital failing became quite a predictable sort of moment of each episode. Mm, yeah. I don't, I love, I mean, I would have Tim Key on that every single time, but a part of me is thinking in a realistic world, how the hell has he managed to get Sidekick Simon booked yeah, for that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's just more of a sort of like I'm applying a bit a little too much reality onto the the situation. Um, but I I love the interactions with Simon and Alan, and I, I love that sort of sense that Alan has maybe somehow wangled him the job and he's letting Alan down. But I mean that would never happen. No, on, just to be clear. <laughs> I mean my my small amount of experience of BBC commissioning, you never go, can my mate come on as well? Yeah, bring him no. down. <laughs> um I so I all in all, I I I really liked it and I will watch it again probably for a third time. Um but there were a few moments as a fan that I sort of thought, huh. I thought that um Apologies for forgetting her name. The actress who plays Jenny is superb. Susanna Fielding. Yeah, she's fantastic. She is so good at that role. She absolutely nails it. Well, I think where her and and Tim Key both both were absolutely brilliant is because it's all about how they react to Alan. And a lot of it is about subtlety and facial expressions or just something within the eyes, even, to the kind of insanity happening next to them in the Mm. studio. I, I think they both absolutely perfected that. 100%. 100%. And also, there are moments where she could have really like thrown Alan under a bus and she doesn't. She, it's almost like you can see her keeping a mental sort of tab of, of Alan's mistakes. She doesn't, she could have got him fired very early doors or made him look a complete fool, but she, it's that commitment to making the show look good, which I mean, everyone is familiar with from from good morning britain oh um susanna reed yeah yeah where yes. where she's like, oh yeah keeping a straight face for the good of the show yeah. i'm just not gonna just face completely call you out but i will challenge you yeah. when needed and you will occasionally see her roll her eyes actually as well which is always quite entertaining that that is definitely yeah but she, she she rolls her eyes but she never totally blocks yeah she will never let the sort of the flow of the show completely go a seasoned Even professional. she's broadcasting <laughs> with a complete idiot. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think we, we've talked about this a lot. I think definitely one of the strength, the key strengths of this time is repeated viewings. Mm. I mean, we probably tried to watch it all at least. I don't know. Well, for me, I watched each episode three times before we got to recording. And each watch through, I would be spotting new gags. It's actually, it's very kind of multi-layered, very densely kind of scripted because there are so many visual gags that you will very easily miss the first time round or even the second time round. So it definitely um definitely a rewarding repeat view for sure, which I think is one of the strengths of I think I think the Gibbons writing. There's just so there's so much kind of 
layers in it now because they've been writing with Coogan and developing this character for years and years. But then I, I think the other interesting thing, which you, I think you kind of touched on, is about this kind of narrative arc. I feel because it's so it's so packed and it's so dense, I also feel like there were a lot of narrative arcs they almost kind of set up, but then ran out of airtime to actually have any kind of payoff. I, I think there's a lot yeah, of stuff totally. that got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, And I think Alan as a voice of the people... And also, like the the final episode of the second series, when with the network bit, yeah, you're you're not quite sure whether people are with Alan or not because mm. they are on the social media to an extent, and then he goes outside, and you're not, and they sort of aren't. So you, it's not quite resolved whether Alan is tapping into this new sort of right wing frustration with the world or whether he's missed the mark whereas i think it's more interesting if alan is actually suddenly the voice of the popular vote Mm. yeah he's done that thing of um he probably is the voice of the people in you know the home counties or wherever, but he's run out into central London expecting there to be some kind <laughs> yes. of uprising. And again, he's kind of, he's missed the point when actually, yes, there is something in what he's doing and who he's um, representing, but he's misunderstood how to kind of execute on it and it falls mm. flat <laughs> as it usually does. I think it's kind of conflicting as well because I, I, I still feel like, well, the, the way they kind of concluded that is is he even actually on the right? Because we definitely had a lot of email correspondence, people going, oh yeah, that you know they're setting up for, he's going to progress to be a, a kind of Nigel Farage type character. And I don't think it's that, because obviously the, the key phrase being, I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. So actually his, the character hasn't overtly gone to the left or to the right. So I think it's quite interesting to see where, where is it going to go? And where, where are well, the Gibbons and, and Steve Keegan going to take the character next? Well, I actually think Alan is a floating voter to an extent, and I think Alan's politics are very local. So when so he there's that great bit on Knowing Me, Knowing You, the radio show, when the Lib Dem politician comes on, and and it, he reveals that the reason he voted for her is because she got rid of those gypsies. <laughs> and yeah. that's such an astute observation mm. about someone who is is broadly conservative, probably a Thatcherite. But if you promise to change something that annoys them about their town, chances are you'll get their vote. And and she tries to play down the fact that she got rid of the gypsies. Um, and apologies for using Alan's language. Um, obviously, I, I wouldn't use that term to describe uh, that community. But Alan is using a term she doesn't like and is revealing something she did that she probably doesn't want to advertise, but that's what won her the votes. Yeah. And I think Alan, mm. I think even if, if Keir Starmer had a policy that really impacted Alan, he might go, I think Alan's definitely voted Blair, I think. Do you think? Mm, maybe, not- for, maybe 97. Yeah, I, I think that feels about right. I think Alan gave Blair a chance and then reverted back to Tory. I like that. That 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 rings true to me. But I don't think he would be Farage because I think he's too no. desperate to get in with people. 
Well, that's what whereas I was going to say. Whereas Farage yeah. is sort of desperate to go against, whereas I think Alan sort of wants to follow the tide a bit. I f- he wants to be cool and in. Yeah, and I feel like what what you see with with his character is he would he would happily contradict himself to go with what actually the person he's in the room with what thinks, you know. So, and I think that maybe you yeah, extrapolate you that, that to how he would vote and what his political allegiance is. I was like, which way is the wind blowing? You know. Yeah, I think. Also, he he he's sort of quite f- far away from. I was having a chat uh, recently about. Uh, sort of the the new wave of libertarian very controversial figures in the media and how they because they're chasing column inches like Katie Hopkins the perfect example because they're chasing column inches they have to say more and more and more and more outrageous stuff to the point at which the people they originally appealed to think fucking hell what are you on about that's not even that's not even on my wavelength. And I don't think Alan would would ever be canny enough to start that process where you think, oh, I've got a bit of a niche here because you can't say anything these days. So I'm going to say you can't say anything these days. And I'm going to keep <laughs> saying things you, in inverted commas, can't say until the point at which I'm saying stuff that actually you can't say. <laughs> so people lose interest. I don't think Alan would, would think, oh, I'm onto something here. I think he would just sort of speak his mind. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it next, because obviously we know stratagem mm. is seems to be, that's probably going to be the next thing. I think the way they launched that, you had the kind of video of Coogan in character talking about we're a divided nation and I've got this stratagem to kind of bring us together. So I feel like they're going to, they're probably going to develop these ideas. <laughs> John, we've almost kind of covered everything in the APU and almost chronologically, but there is something we haven't talked about, which is the the books or even the audiobooks. As an avid Partridge fan, what do you make of those? I came to iPartridge just after everyone had told me they'd listened to the audiobook and it was the best thing they'd ever heard in their life. I, so, I, I, so I actually read it before I listened to the audiobook and I loved it. Uh, I think it's so great. And it's so nice having some of those gaps filled in, in the sort of Alan chronology, especially a lot of the stuff with Carol. Yeah. The the section about Sally Gunnell <laughs> is one of the one of the funniest Alan sections. Uh, I I have to say, with Nomad, I felt I could tell the bits that. It just felt like it every so often went into fan fiction territory mm. as opposed to sort of canon Alan, if I can coin the phrase. Can Alan? Alan on, which doesn't work because <laughs> right. that's a, an organization to help the families of alcoholics. Uh, but th- there's, a, there's, a, there's a line in Nomad where it's talking about him ordering pizzas for Bruno Brooks hid behind a hedge as a prank and I just thought I, that's not Alan doesn't do that Alan's not really a prankster it, mm. he is in the moment but he's not he's not someone who would go to the trouble of doing that um, so Nomad has very funny moments but it felt a, 
<laughs> a bit far-fetched. <laughs> um, yeah. The the Oast House, I thought was fantastic, but I it did my head in that they released it all in one. Yeah. It's a podcast. Mm. Put it out 20 minutes a week. Make people desperate to hear the next one. Make people appreciate it and savour it because it's not a podcast. It's an audiobook. Yes. Yeah. So, 100%. I mean, it's it's an audiobook framed as a podcast, but no one releases four hours of a podcast at once, apart from Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I've never listened to it. He's I, an idiot. I, I hear it's awful. Thinks that yellow yeah, stuff in I bet he drinks that yellow stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he Well, I mean, no, he yeah, does drink that absolutely. yellow stuff in tins. Um, so I I thought the, the Oast House was fantastic, but I just could not. Un- I mean, I know it why, for sort of, you know, contractual reasons. But and the money to 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 have actually had that as a weekly thing, appointment downloading, if such a phrase has ever been uttered. I'm sure it has somewhere. I just didn't want it all at once. Mm. It was too much. It was. T- I I wanted to sort of savor it a bit more. I, but I did. I did. Love I, I it. thought it should, to that point. I thought that. It should have either been a podcast, and as you say, 20 minutes each week and make people desperate for more, or it should have been an audiobook because it came in one, and it should have been more structured so that you could listen to it from beginning to end, and it it had more of that kind of arc to it, because I, I didn't think that listening to it from beginning to end was necessarily hugely rewarding, whereas actually having it as more weekly episodic um, installments would have been much more kind of palatable, because... I don't know, the way that, you know, not a huge amount really happens in the Oast House. And in some respects, mm. that's kind of the charm of it. But having it all drop in one go, I think that because we listened to it in one go, we felt that there were areas where they could have maybe been a bit tighter in the edit. Whereas actually, if you're listening to that week on week for 20 minutes, it becomes much more compelling listening, I think. So, yeah, we were a bit confused by the sort of the... Yeah, I mean, Alan with a dictaphone in lockdown, I mean... That writes itself. I mean, it, it doesn't write itself. It's a process <laughs> that has taken an awful lot of work from everyone involved. But it's sort of the pitch is so good. Yeah. But I, I did feel it was it was a it was a big chunk of Alan all at once. And I, I feel like when we when we kind of did it, I mean, we were obviously super meta, so we were a podcast reviewing a podcast in essence. I think we all kind of agreed as well. It felt like there were too many episodes. So I think there were eighteen. And it felt like if there had been maybe 10 or 12, I think perhaps the whole experience would have been a bit more rewarding because it would have been a bit more honed in and maybe they could have even created a bit more of a narrative arc across it. Whereas you had quite disparate kind of thoughts with each episode. Yeah. Quickly then, in terms of... Um, we, we've No need to be quick. I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> okay. Make sure you really uh, develop... Quite, quite literally, I'm on the ring road. <laughs> okay. D- really develop... Uh, and, Are we going Joe Rogan length for this now? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, what do you think then in terms of uh, the different mediums? Because, you know, he's been on the radio. You could argue he's had YouTube shorts. He's had a sitcom. Um, he's had a, a book. He's had a podcast. Is it a podcast? We're not sure. We'll leave that. Which of the which of the mediums do you think kind of best suits um, Alan? I I don't think it matters as long as he's trapped. I don't I don't I think the medium he, he works in any medium. I would love I would love to hear him presenting an actual two hour long radio show. Mm. Um, I I would yeah I would guess an offer yeah. has been made at some point surely. surely. 
for Alan's weekly radio show, but it's a huge amount of writing. It's a big old turnover of stuff. But with the music, like the full length songs. Yeah. I yeah. But that's so it's so much time. Well and inevitably you would the the only way that I think Steve Coogan would be able to record that is all in one chunk, and that's a big old hefty did, did you, week of stuff. Did you see the TFI Friday um show that he, he hosted? What? Yeah, he uh, Don't he, you ever, <laughs> ever, 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 ever mention something that Alan has done that I haven't seen or heard of. Oh, wow. Have we, fa- have we found some unknown... Uh, oh. What? Not not when he's singing with Elton John. No, he's not Elton John. I don't jo- think he's was... singing with Elton John in it, is he? Not when he's interviewing Noel Gallagher. No, no, no. So this was TFI... Remember when Channel 4 brought back TFI Friday in, I think, 2015 or 16 for a series? No, I don't know that. <laughs> well, Strap there was a... Yeah. There was a Christmas special to end that series. So Steve Coogan, in character, basically co-hosted the whole thing. Um, I'm sure it's probably on some kind of uh, website somewhere to dig it out. But um, it, it, like seeing him di- applying the character to a real-life show was just so good. In the same way like he's done Jonathan Ross in character mm. uh, probably a few well, years prior to that. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, then. To answer your original question, I think the one arena alan doesn't suit his live in character with real people i think every time i've seen him and i would imagine I, i'm guessing steve kudling is quite reluctant to do those and those are probably the most stressful things he ever does but alan as alan with real people I think must be very difficult because it sort of has to be scripted, yeah. mm. but to make that seem unscripted is an impossible task, really. I mean, can you can you imagine interviewing? Can you imagine interviewing David Brent on Jonathan Ross or mm. interviewing Richie Richard Richard on Jonathan Ross? It's sort of something about it feels a bit kind of oh, yeah. Is this when's this going to go wrong? <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're right. I think those things are meticulously scripted in the same way that it would be any other piece of, of, of the APU. And there was another thing he did in character. Um, I think it was Richard Bacon on Five Live years ago, which uh, a lot a lot of people have kind of been co- in contact with us about that over the years, saying it was it's one of the best kind of in-character things that he's done as an interview like that. So that, again, I think because it's probably it was quite short and scripted. It wasn't mm. like a two hour, two hour thing and it wasn't a hosting thing. So there's an interview where obviously I'd imagine they've sat down with Richard Bacon and his team and figured out exactly how it's all going to flow. So there's no, there's no room for error or being caught out, I guess. Well, I think, I mean, the, the temptation is to think that surely he must be able to improvise as Alan now. And I think he probably could, but the, the stakes are too high. Exactly. Yeah. Because everything, Steve Coogan said this really, really wise thing about his time in Hollywood. He said, it doesn't matter if the, the films are bad or badly reviewed, as long as your bit is great, that's sort of your your sort of um, Hollywood collateral, your Hollywood stock price goes up. And I think that's something Steve Coogan's always done, regardless of the project. He's always come out of it very well. 
And I think it would be too risky to do live Alan improvised because mm. Alan cannot fail. I don't mean Alan, Alan, yeah. even though that's part of Alan's personality, but an, an Alan, no Alan project has ever failed. You know, we, mm. we're nitpicking in such minute ways as massive fans, but nothing he's ever done has been bad. No. Which, you know, to to go back to our previous comedic um, comparison, other creators of big characters have done some really bad stuff. <laughs> but Coogan's never done anything with Alan that's really bad, or even bad, or even, even average. Everything he's done has been good, which... Over a thirty, what thirty year career, thirty five year career, is insane. Yeah, you know what? It's literally that's insane. It's literally thirty years. I get. Yeah, if on the hour was nineteen ninety one, so literally thirty years of the character existing. He's, he's never dropped the ball with Alan. So the, the 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 tension and the prep before every project must be immense for everyone involved. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked uh, obviously a lot about um, the kind of comedy that you kind of grew up loving and the kind of sitcoms that have been quite inspirational from Alan to Bottom, what have you. Is there anything that you've discovered during recent lockdowns that you've got into or is there anything that's new or recent that you've been watching that you've been loving? Um, So usually I'm a very bad person to ask this question to because... And I know this is not, is a sort of failing. I would, I will watch Bottom for the twenty ninth time <laughs> rather than watch the new thing. So I've never seen Parks and Rec. I this is depressing, and people will hate me. I've never seen Orange Is the New Black. I've never seen X Y Z. However, I mean I have seen the U.S. Office four times all the way through, and that's nine seasons. And <laughs> that's I think a lot of television. I, yeah. I think it's a masterpiece. I've recently, though, watched a few new things because my fiance is much more sort of up to date with stuff. So I watched Schmegadoon. Have you seen that? I haven't heard of that. No, I don't I've know, not I heard don't of know it. what that is. <laughs> so Schmegadoon is on Apple TV, and it's uh, it's sort of a basically the premise is a couple go on a hike to save their relationship and they accidentally walk into a world which is all musicals <laughs> and everyone in there is in a musical and they can only get out if they find true love. So that's really good. Uh, I watched Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. I love that. I thought that was great. I, I mean, insane. I really like insane. it. I, I think... One problem, and it's not a problem with the writing, is that because it's all there at once, if you binge it, it sort of gets on your nerves in a way that it wouldn't if it was every week. Oh, that's very true. I think I watched the whole thing over like two days. And I think the other Tom that does this podcast, I think he watched it all in one morning because they're all quite short yeah. episodes. And it's there's, there's some occasions, like we're saying with The Oast House, is where actually we're not designed to watch an entire series in mm. a day because you get so in tune with the sort of 
the language of the show that you almost start to spot stuff. Whereas if you'd had to wait a week for the next episode, you wouldn't. Um, another thing I've watched where I really like is I think you should leave. Um, that's really, really good American sketch show. There's America and Australia are really doing well with sketch shows at the minute. Um, another thing I really liked was, well, I, Alistair Green in lockdown has been an, just such a rele- revelation, just his, his uh, videos on Instagram. And I, I know, I know him. I mean, I remember him as Al, as Al, Al Stick, uh, when he used to stand up. But ah. his videos are so great. And of course, he had a bit and, part in the end of mm. this time. He was the man in window. At the, he he was somebody who was also hopping mad, which I thought was quite a coup. I think I missed that. I missed that. <gasps> oh, yeah. John. How did I miss? <laughs> I'd have texted him to say how jealous I was if I'd known. <laughs> You still can. It's weird when you when you see your mates yeah. in Partridge. It's very weird. Now, if you watch it now, knowing it's him, I think you go, oh, of course that's him. But it's from such a distance. Mm. It's literally a head in a window. But um, yeah, I think he's billed as man in window. So yeah. But yeah, I, I'd agree. I but think I mean, his, his stuff has been brilliant over the last year or so. I mean, I, I mean, if you think the glory is of Alan, if you want to call it the golden age up until sort of I'm Man of Partridge season two, I hadn't even started doing comedy then. So to see your contemporaries, so Lolly and Tash Dimitru yeah. and Alistair Green and uh, Jamie Dimitru and Tim Key and Liam Williams. And you're just sort of thinking, you, I mean, you're genuinely thinking, what, how can, can I, <laughs> you know, that yeah. bit when um, Dave Clifton's gone to do archery with uh, uh, Tony Hadley. Tony Hadley, what? How can I? Yeah, can I, can I, 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 I could. I could. Rubbish. <laughs> um, but I mean, so happy for them all. But sort of, it is very strange to think I'm sort of one degrees, one degrees of Alan Partridge uh, away. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> oh, no, you got any more wine, Rosie? <laughs> Did you have a drink this morning? Um, <laughs> um, oh, the stuff I've been watching. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's already quite a decent list. So, <clears throat> okay, yeah. cool. Well, I would, I would highly recommend Schmigadoon. If you like musicals, you'll absolutely love it. Um, you should probably leave, or I should probably leave, or whatever it's called is is really good. And Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun, I would watch in sort of small doses. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it, it's so kind of, it's such an assault on the senses, that show. It definitely mm. benefits being spaced out, I think. Watching comedy aside, do you want to tell us a bit about your various kind of podcast projects and everything else that people can, can find you doing at the moment? Sure, sure, sure. So to, to, to discuss finally some of those irons that are in various <laughs> fires, um, uh, the Five Live show continues at pace. And um, oh, I have to interject uh, about the Five Live show. I love that you end up literally having a feature called "What's the Best Thing." What's the best thing? That was a, that was actually Dave's idea. Was that deliberate though? Did he uh, know what he was doing with that? I don't think he did. <laughs> he, I don't think he's got quite an, as big a knowledge of um, uh, mid morning matters as we have. In fact, he probably hasn't seen it. But yeah, he basically and me and Ellis on this Zoom call with him were like, "Are you are you genuinely suggesting what's the best thing?" <laughs> 
I all know the phrase. Do, do you think that's the most real-life partridge thing you've ever done on air? What's the best thing? Um, it's got to be up there, surely. There's so many. It just feels like any kind of phone-in topic has the potential to sound like a partridge phone-in topic, right? Just because of the nature of... Yeah, I mean, works. I mean, some of our phone-in topics are very partridge. We last week we did "What have you had for ages?" <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, wasn't that one of your most successful phone-ins to date as well? <laughs> it really was. Uh, there you go. Yeah, along alongside is a Cadbury's cream egg, the ideal size and weight for throwing. <laughs> uh, so uh, in lockdown, well, they were meant to be live gigs, but they became uh, sort of Zoom podcasts, but The Moon Underwater is a podcast about uh, where we have guests creating their favourite pub, and we are also doing um, some live shows of those at the George the Fourth pub in Chiswick, now that lockdown, fingers crossed, has relaxed for a bit. Um, do a podcast called Queen Pod where we listen to every single Queen song <clears throat> in chronological order. Uh, well, album order, we do a side at a time. Uh, Ellis and I are currently planning our third series of How Do You Cope, which is a podcast where we talk to prominent people about mental health struggles and uh, obstacles they've overcome, uh, how, literally how they have coped with various things in their lives. Are you back on the the Bad Golf YouTube? Oh yeah, Bad Golf, where I and Alex Horn, the Taskmaster's assistant, uh, play golf badly uh, on a bi-weekly basis, even though I'm getting quite good at golf now because <laughs> I've had an awful lot of time on my hands through lockdown. But we've come up with a system uh, to allow us to keep it pretty even, even though I'm, I'm, I'm going to say superb at golf now. <laughs> Just rebrand it, Superb Golf. Superb golf plus Alex Hall. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, um, I've got, I've got uh, North Norfolk Knights. <laughs> um, I'm doing uh, skirmish, a uh, uh, military-based quiz show for UK Digital Channel Conquest, which has a highest audience share for uh, any digital TV show in the Norfolk area. Um, <laughs> And I think that's probably it. I write a monthly column for today's golfer. <laughs> I'm sure a sentence I never thought I'd say, but I love it. I love reading about golf. I love playing golf. Um, oh, there's going to be something really important I've missed. But anyway, no one's going to listen to any of that stuff. They want to hear about Alan. Look, it's, it's a lot of irons I, on the fire. I think there's I, I, I su- submit unsolicited scripts to Baby Cow. So you never know. <laughs> so you have, maybe maybe you'll be slagging <laughs> off my decisions. And have you have you ever met Neil or Rob Gibbons at all? No, I've okay. interacted with a, a couple of Gibbons a couple of times uh, via app messages on Twitter, but I'm pretty sure they don't really know who I am, and nor should they. I could just be an Alan fan. I don't know. There was something. Um, uh, there was some conversation about. Uh, Alan doing a uh, a tour of motorway services that I got added into or someone said I should do or something, I can't remember. They're just at, at conversations lost to the mists of time. 
Um, well, shall we uh, end with a colossal question uh, for you, John? So um, get ready. Okay, can only be one. Is it Alan or is it Queen? Well, then, well but that's a kind of, kind of quite a strange question because... <laughs> I'm just what reading what's I on only, the screen, John. Just, just reading what's on the screen. But can I only <laughs> listen to Alan or Queen, or can I only watch Alan or okay, Queen? Okay, I, I think uh, the uh, it's, this is almost a Desert Island disc type thing. You, you yeah. can only, only one can exist. What would it be? Oh well, obviously, if, if I could only take if I could only take one to a desert island, it would be Alan because I know. I mean, I know both of them all, so I could play them both in my head. <laughs> I think I would. I could probably more accurately play Queen in my head than I could play Alan in all his formats. So, for example, Oast House. Like, I've listened to it once. So I think there would perhaps be more new things to find in Alan than in Queen, whereas I could just play Queen in my head from start to finish 70, you know, 73 to 91 Go. I mean, I could just do it now. So I would, I would take Alan rather than Queen. It's a victory for Alan, but to be fair, I think you found a way around the uh, desert island yeah. system that we've uh, just applied there. So yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm tempted not to pick Queen on if I were to ever grace the hallowed halls of desert island discs. That would be a good scripted Alan, actually. Alan on desert island discs. Yeah. Oh, well, he did. Um, have you heard his inheritance tracks, which is a similar kind of format? Oh, for Oh, Fuck have I done it again? Don't you ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. <laughs> I will email you some links. <laughs> great. Yeah, that would it's, be great. It's, it's basically that, a Desert Island disc type idea, but the songs he picks are ridiculous. Yeah. I think Alan would, would work on Desert Island discs because there's so few questions. So it's one question, then you talk for four minutes. I think you could script that quite well. I'd like to see Alan on. DID. Do, do you, He'd call it DID as well. <laughs> yes. Do, do we think... Delta in India Delta. <laughs> I'm wondering, actually, because there's references that we haven't touched on, but there is references to Queen in uh, Alan yes. Partridge, which we haven't talked about. <laughs> I know everyone. <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, do we think... I mean, does Alan like the music of Queen? He does, but he doesn't like... Uh, I don't think he really likes Freddie's behaviour. <laughs> but he does like the songs. Yeah. Um I think I don't think he would get on with May either. Do you think May I think he would be sort of anti some of May's uh anti uh, Badger. But yeah. I think Alan is probably pro Badger Badger Carl. He's countryside alliance, isn't he? And he yeah. he he is, but but I think the interesting thing about Alan is that he does no country activities which would justify him agreeing with the countryside alliance he just likes having a big urban house in the country so he 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 sort of thinks of himself as being a country gent walking as close to mike oldfield's estate as he's allowed <laughs> but he doesn't actually do anything that people who are in the countryside alliance do like he wouldn't know what to do with a horse no. or a farm no. or or a wood <laughs> He, he rambles, but he that's likes as good as it of, gets. He rambles. Yeah, he likes to wear the gear and walk and align himself with their politics. Big fat socks. I yeah. think he'd probably get on with Roger the best out of Queen. I think him and Roger might get along a bit because Roger's a bit of a sort of a playboy. And I think Alan would be attracted to that lifestyle. 
Uh, but yeah, there's uh, when he walks into the travel tavern singing Killer Queen, uh, when he uh, mock makes love to 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 someone and uh, yep. no 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 it's Michael makes love to someone from from behind and yep. Alan says it could be Brian May. <laughs> then there's the recent episode of this time where they're trying to name as many Queen songs as they can. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, which I got a lot of app messages about on Twitter. <laughs> and, I, and I think so, some uh, of our listeners did point out that technically, script-wise, they didn't complete the challenge because one of them was just saying Queen, wasn't it? So they didn't actually... I can't, I can't remember how many they had to get, but technically they didn't do it. So, yeah. Ruin that bit of script. Yeah. Or maybe that's a joke. <laughs> um, any, is there any more Queen in Alan? Nick, you got anything? Oh, I, d- I think you've listed all of them, but yeah, there is there is one. There's a reference, and I can't remember which episode it is. You'll probably know, but there is one where he makes reference to Freddie Mercury, and as you say, kind of his his behaviour. But is, is that Mid Morning Matters? I, I I can't remember which one it is, but there's definitely some reference to Freddie Mercury. Um, well, there's um, when Michael is he says, "God rest his soul." He yes. Says, oh, that was the other one. Yes, that, God rest his yeah, soul. Yeah, that's the one. I think that's in the same. May okay, love making long hair riff, but I'm sure there are other uh, Queen references in Alan Partridge mm. that I cannot call to mind. I don't think he ever plays Queen on on the radio, which you would think he would play a bit of Queen. I can't think of it. Yeah, you're right. It, it feels like it's it's definitely music that he would play on on his radio shows and. The names of is it not a Radio Gaga? Maybe not. It, the titles of Queen tracks also feel like they're set up quite nicely for jokes as as well. Or is there something about oh, Fat Bottoms Girls? We're, There's we're, one about Fat Bottom Girls, isn't there? Because he talks about yes, um, how I can't think the te- he goes into quite Does, a technical answer about why women have sometimes slightly larger bums. Yeah, about the way that they distribute fat, yes. whereas men men distribute it around the stomach and yeah. women on the hips and bum. But doesn't he... So he talks... That bit is he's explaining to Brian May in his anecdote. I think he's met Brian May and he explains that to May. Am I right? Because yes. there's a bit yes. in Poptastic, the Tony Blackburn book where he approaches Brian May at a do and says, Brian, I know people like Bohemian Rhapsody, but I've never listened to the whole thing through. I put it on when I go to the toilet. Oh, God. Which is such a sort of rude thing to say to someone. Um, Have you read Poptastic? I've heard heard you um, do the excerpts on the XFM show, and I think I was trying to find a copy, and I, I literally couldn't track one down, but we did talk about it very briefly um, on one of our episodes about how it basically is it's the blueprint for iPartridge 100% it's yeah. it's it's well worth a read the problem was as soon as we started talking about it quite regularly you used to be able to get it second hand yeah. on Amazon for like 59p plus postage it's now like 60 quid just because the algorithms of Amazon a, a lot of people supply well, and demand I say a isn't lot. it it only takes 10 yeah. people to want to buy it and suddenly the price shoots up but if you can get hold of a copy I commend you to reading Poptastic. It's a superb piece of work. But also an incredible account of a man who played a huge part in inventing modern radio. Yeah. it's. But did once best Noel Edmonds when a waitress came yeah. up and uh, and uh, 
Noel thought she was about to ask him an autograph, whereas actually uh, <laughs> Tony had sold her a dehumidifier on QVC. <laughs> oh, need, needless so to good. say, Tony had the last laugh. Um, there are two key bits of Queen in in the world of the APU that we haven't referenced. John, I think you can, Let me, I think I you're going to kick yourself. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a sec um, because particularly one of these, I can't believe we didn't think of it. Could you give me a clue? Uh, yes. Okay. One is from this time. One is from a live show. Remember, John, dead air is a crime. Can't believe I got to say that to somebody who DJs on Five Live. Unbelievable. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to pass from a live show. Is it Alan Partridge and other ca- yes. other less successful characters? Yes. And again, this is only because okay. I've looked it up on the internet. I'd I'd forgotten all about this, even though we did go to that show. Nick, any thoughts? I've, I've, I think I've only seen that twice. Yeah. yeah, I've not seen that in a long time. Okay, so much like Alan did a Kate Bush medley, he did a Queen medley on that tour, which I've totally uh, forgotten yeah. existed. And the other thing yeah. that we forgot, and I think we're all going to kick ourselves, you have the CPR section uh, with Another One Bites the oh, Dust. Oh, yes, yeah. Another One Bites the Dust, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They're necking. <laughs> which we all really, really loved. Definitely uh, we're big fans of that when we discuss it on the podcast. Um, and I think that concludes Queen in the APU. It's a new regular feature. The problem with, us- the problem with using um, Another One Bites the Dust for CPR is the bass line doesn't go throughout the whole song. Because you can't go, dun, 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 dun. You can't yeah. pause. Yeah, that's not going to help. That's why staying alive is so much better. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, if we think of anything else uh, where Queen features in the APU, John, we'll, uh, we'll drop you a message. Um, but I, 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 or, or better still, other people will get in touch with us and say, I can't believe you forgot about X. Oh, oh, here we go. Well, uh, Freddie Mercury features in the day-to-day when, when uh, Chris Morris... Oh leads up to one of those clips and i think it's a politician uh it's not too late for freddie mercury (laughs) i think if she contacted her local mp or local council or something you know it's been years since i've watched i haven't rewatched that yeah chris morris says something like um chris Patton says it's not too late for freddie mercury (laughs) well i think if she contacted her (laughs) local council she yeah Oh, excellent. Okay, well, look, I think I think that's probably a good point to wrap this up, I reckon. I, we're not going to get any better than the meeting of those worlds, Queen and the APU. Um, so, John, thank you so much for joining us. You've been exceedingly generous of your time. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. I have had an absolute blast. It's so nice to just be in Alan's world. And I have to say, it even it's not just like my comedy and my and radio work it's actually my life like i alan's attention to detail and the and the his ability to find interest Mm. in the most banal things makes even a motorway drive (laughs) so fascinating and i often think of the bit where he's talking about the owls and the owl sanctuary he says it's just minimum maintenance grass (laughs) but if you can if you can find those details in life, it does actually make life interesting, even if your fiancé thinks you've gone mad. <laughs> when you're saying, look, they've only got... How do they expect us to uh, switch to electric cars and they've got two charging points in a, in, a, in a service station car park that's probably housing 600 cars? 
And she goes, what are you talking about? But you're sort of trying to make the world around you a little bit more interesting. <laughs> like I say, there's definitely Alan in all of us, whether we mean to do it or not, I think is uh, where life is at these days. Um, John, if people want to keep up to date with you, what is the best way to do that? Is it is it a follow on Twitter? What are the details? Oh, I don't know. I don't really. I, I mean, I am on Twitter and I do tell people about things on Twitter. I don't engage in conversations on Twitter, but not that, you know, I mean, if pe- people are being nice, if people ask me a question, I will reply. But I don't sort of don't go on there for my hot takes on every single thing that happens, because I just think that way madness lies. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Nomadic Reverie. I'm on Instagram at Nomadic underscore Reverie. And you can, uh, the best thing you could do would be go to my website, johnrobbins.com, and subscribe to my newsletter where I give very sporadic updates about my thoughts and feelings. There we go. I think that wraps us up. Thank you so much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. See you later. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Damn! Monkey tennis. Little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis. Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis. Edmunds is a total wasp of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? Like, this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis. The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.